Jesus, we just call on your name. Wherever we're at, you're here with us and you want to speak to us. And you want to point us to yourself. We may have filled this last week with sin, but it can't separate us from your love or your voice. So, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you are going to speak to us through your word. Have your way, Lord Jesus, have your way. Amen. Shoppers, start your watches. It's 108 hours and 59 minutes until Black Friday starts. Judging by that response, I guess there's not a lot of hardcore shoppers out there eager to get going. Uh, I'm not a very crazy Black Friday shopper, but I have definitely gone out on Black Friday more often than I would like to admit. And I've noticed that, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the Christmas gift list, but as I'm going on Black Friday, I'm always seeing things that I kind of want to get, you know? And the shopping trip can often turn into me just like looking at all these things that I want and then getting deals for myself. Um, And I'm thinking about, hey, you know, what's the next thing that I can get? What's the next new coat that's going to keep me a little bit warmer? Or, you know, oh, there's a nice new kitchen appliance that'll make meal prep so much faster and easier. And, oh, here's a new, you know, tool that I maybe I might need that will make that honey-do list just disappear. Um, we often seem to be hungry for something new. And the people that market all these things that are sold on Black Friday know that, right? We, we long for the next thing or the new thing or, you know, whatever it is that is coming out next. Like the iPhone 7, right? I'm just making that up. But it's probably coming soon. And it'll be seven times better than the iPhone 6 that you have in your pocket, Right? So maybe you're not as materialistic as me, but we, um, we often always have something on our minds that we want, even if it's not an object, and it's usually the thing that we spend most of our time thinking about. You know, if I only had blank, my life would be so much easier. Oh, if my husband just didn't have to work so many hours, oh, life would be so much better. Oh, if I could just get to know that girl in chemistry class, man, this life would be great. You know? If I only knew what my major was, then, then I would be all set. You know, I'd be all set. If I just knew what my major was. If I just won the lottery, man, then I'd really be all set. You know, forget no more problems. Life would just be great forever. I'd be, all, I'd be good to go. The interesting thing, though, is that once we get that thing, it usually doesn't deliver. And then we're just looking for the next thing. I don't know how, how many of you have one of these in your pocket. But I can still remember the, the day that I got this, this awesome little smartphone. Um, you, know, you take it out of the package gingerly, and you, you, know, you put the battery in real careful. You don't want to mess anything up. And, and I bought a case for it in case I drop it. And you know, I just like plug it in really careful and, and set it down. don't want to drop it. And now it's like, you know, I just hand it to my son, and he's like throwing it all over the you know, room. It's like, okay, five seconds of, of peace where he's like throwing the thing around. It's like Awesome. So it just doesn't have the value that it had when I first got it. Thanksgiving is Thursday. 
We're going we're gonna to eat a huge meal. We're going to gorge ourselves. You know, we'll never have to eat again after this Thanksgiving meal, right? You know, four to six hours later, oh, turkey leftovers anywhere? Something in the fridge. Oh, cranberry sauce. Oh, all right, great. We're always hungry for something else, right? Even our appetite of our stomach is showing us, hey, we're longing for that next, that next thing. So what do we do when it feels like we're, we're not full? What do we do when, when we feel like we just can't, we can't get what we need or what's going to fill us up? Or we just can't get the good life? There's just like a couple things that are holding out on us. And if we just get those, we'll be all set. What do, we, what do we do when we can't get no satisfaction? <laughs> the passage we're looking at today is uh, another one in the Gospel of John. We're in our I Am series, and we're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. And this one is preceded by two pretty famous events in Jesus' life. The first one is the feeding of the 5,000. You've heard of that. Uh, Jesus is ministering to a bunch of people. And they've been there a long time. He doesn't want to send them all away just to go find bread. They're in a remote place. And uh, he ends up, you know, giving thanks to God and and multiplying these five loaves and fishes. I don't know if you've heard the story. And so, you know, everyone has a full belly. They they eat their fill. And there's 12 baskets full somehow of food left over that that was fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Miracle. Miracle. Right? So after that, um, the crowd wants to make Jesus king, the Bible says. They want to put him in a place of authority, and we'll come back to that. But they're seeking to, to say, hey, we're going to force this guy to, to be king, to rule over us, and to feed us all the time. Well, it'd be awesome. So Jesus flees. He kind of like escapes their, their grasp and goes up on a mountainside. The disciples head across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they go kind of north. Uh, northeast to uh, Capernaum, and Jesus kind of meets them halfway as they're going, and he walks on the water. And if you've heard, that's the second story that's kind of famous. And you know, they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's a ghost!" And they're freaked out a little bit, and it's stormy. And they just they eventually call Jesus into the boat, and they immediately get to the other side. So there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. You know, food is being multiplied, and people are walking on water, and then they're being transported by the Spirit to the other side of the lake. Um, so this is where we're picking, off, picking up on in the story. So if you have a Bible, uh, why don't you turn to John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 22. So these other two events happen right at the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I'm going to stop there. So first thing we see is that the crowd is really motivated to find Jesus. Uh, I said earlier that they wanted to make him king. He kind of escapes. So then they're kind of looking around, you know, where is he? Okay, we see the disciples. They're going across the lake, but there was only one boat. You know, Jesus didn't go with them. Where did he go? So they kind of just figure out, hey, maybe Jesus somehow joined them, and we're going to go across the, the, the sea also. 
Now, they probably had to pay some kind of passage, I'm just assuming. Right? These boats just arrived. They weren't their boats necessarily. So, I mean, they're motivated. They're going out of their way to really track down Jesus. And another interesting thing that we see at the start of this is that John kind of rehashes the feeding of the 5,000. And he says in verse um, 23 at the end, where they had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So he's reminding us that uh, the people had gotten their fill of food and that Jesus had given thanks for the bread. Now, I don't think that's just a passing comment. I mean, John could have just left that out. He didn't have to mention that again. He already said it once. But he's reminding us again of Jesus' spirit of gratitude. We saw Jesus last week with the story of Lazarus. He gives thanks, actually, before he raises Lazarus from the dead. That is his posture before his father. He's in a constant dialogue with God. And he is in submission to God's will. And he recognizes the goodness of the moment. That God is pouring out his love on Jesus as his father. And Jesus giving thanks is recognizing uh, what God is doing and that his love is being poured out on him. So, Thanksgiving this week. You know, Neil's already said, let me just also say, hey, giving thanks, thanksgiving is, it's really an act of submission to God. It's saying, hey, God, this is what you've given me, and it's good. And I'm recognizing, God, that you're good, and that every good and perfect gift has come from you. It's not just a nice, quaint little thing. It's actually worship. When we give thanks, we recognize the goodness of God. Just like we do when we sing a song, we say, hey, God, you're great. When we give thanks, we are recognizing God's goodness. Uh, Years ago, there was a a couple from a a church that I knew. Uh, They were kind of, uh, I wouldn't say elderly, but, you know, kind of retirement age. And the husband was, you know, really successful, great uh, man of God. But it was funny, the, the, the running joke about the wife was that she would write a thank you note for a thank you note. Okay, maybe nobody writes thank you notes anymore, but I just always thought, you know, people would joke about her, but she was so gracious. I mean, just to be in her presence, she was always like blessing you and encouraging you and being thankful, and she was full. She was full. Because her posture was always just one of gratitude, thankfulness, just grace. Never forget that. Thank you note for a thank you note. All right. We're going to come back to that. Let's let's keep going in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must, we do, what, was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what, Then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. 
So Jesus reveals the true motivation of the crowd. Okay, their motivation is their stomach. Right? They just they're seeking Jesus because they just got a free meal. Right? If Jesus can make, you know, food for five thousand people plus out of almost nothing, I mean, come on, free meals for life. You know, there's no more, you know, there's no more cooking, there's no more like grocery shopping, there's no more like meal planning. Take the food bill out of the budget. I mean, this is a this is a big deal. Now, if it doesn't seem like a big deal to you, for us, I think the, the trade-off would probably be money. You know? What if you knew someone that just just give you any amount of money you wanted? Just, hey, here's some money. Or you were in a little community and that person was just a billionaire and they just said, all right, everybody that's in our community, here you go, lots of money. Everyone just has as much money as they want. I've got an infinite supply. You bring me $10, I'll give you back $10,000, right? You'd be all set. So you can see why they're motivated to make him king because, hey, let's just take food off the worry list. I'll be well-fed for the rest of my life. Never have to worry about it again. All set, right? Great. So they want to make him king. And you can't blame these guys, right? You know, it's like, hey, Jesus, great. He'd be an awesome sugar daddy. Make food out of nothing. But they're missing the main point of what happened, right? It's a sign that's supposed to point to something, right? A sign, we see a sign on the road, it's directing us. It's showing us the right way to go so we don't get off track. So this miracle that was performed is, is pointing these people to who Jesus really is, So Jesus was able to provide a meal for them, which was supposed to show them that Jesus was God's provision for his people. Jesus is himself the provision. And Jesus is the one that says that God has set his seal on him. He is the one that's approved by God to be the provision for the world. So Jesus is encouraging them to focus on on what really matters and on what will really satisfy on what really gives life. It's the Son of Man, he says, that is the true food. right? And he's talking about having something that is eternal, not working for something that will just fade away. Even if Jesus was to say, okay, I'm going to give you guys food for the rest of your life, they actually wouldn't be all set. Because it would just move to something else that they wanted or something else that now is on there, the next thing that they want. So Jesus is telling them, hey, there actually is something that you can have that you won't have to hunger after anymore. You won't have to keep looking for the next thing. So they've gone through all this effort to chase Jesus down so they can have food for their stomachs. And they want to know, okay, so what are they supposed to do? They're saying, you know, what does someone have to do to do the works of God? And Jesus tells them that the real work is just to believe. That's an incredible statement. How do do I I please God? Just believe. What are we supposed to do to do things for God? You just have to believe. See, believing is satisfying. Last week we saw that believing is seeing. If we want to see the glory of God, if we want to see people healed, saved, if we want to see lives transformed, communities changed, 
It starts with believing in Jesus. And only there. And now we see that it's the same thing for being satisfied. We don't come to God and say, hey, God, satisfy me. You know, give me all these things that I want. You know, fill my stomach. It's actually belief in Jesus that is the only thing that will satisfy us. We can see a little bit of the connection to gratitude here. Right? And, and when, we're, when we're grateful, when we're giving thanks to God, we are saying a statement of faith. We're saying, God, you are good. You've given me good things. I recognize that every good thing comes from you. That's a, that's a statement of belief in who God is and his character. And that is what leads to us being satisfied. So, this crowd doesn't really get it, but we don't often get it either. When we come to God, a lot of times we come to Him either asking, okay, God, what can you do for me? Here's the way I expect my life to go, and all right, how can we kind of make that happen? Or if we do come to God with, hey, God, you know, what can I do for you? A lot of times the subtext is so that you can do for me what I want you to do. So, you know, I'll um, come to church every Sunday, and I'll, you know, be a faithful husband or wife, and I'll get A's on all my exams, and I'll study really hard, and I won't swear, except, you know, I stub my toe sometimes. Um, So that way, God, you'll do what I want you to do. We know that we're doing this when life gets tough. Because that's always the point that reveals if we're attached to these things that we want or if it's really just that we're attached to the Lord. And obviously for all of us, we're on a spectrum there. It's always a journey. We're never, we've never reached the end of that. But how do we respond when things don't go our way? If it's with a heart of gratitude... Even when things are bad, we know we're moving in the right direction. Because believing is satisfying. And we always talk about the God-shaped hole that only God can fill, you know, in, our, in everyone's heart. Christianese, cheesy, but it's true. Anything we get in this life, we always want something else. And Jesus is saying, hey, there is bread that will satisfy that hunger. It's me. Jesus knows that it would be better if we never ate real food again and have the true bread than if we were to be all set for meals for the rest of our lives but not have him. Because what Jesus is promising is real life. It's being fully alive. So that somehow, Jesus is saying, some relationship with him gives us It makes us full. And it lasts forever. So our job is just to trust. Our work is just to believe that Jesus is actually the answer that will make us full.
My son Samuel discovered sugar in the past few weeks. He's a year old. And uh, now he kind of knows where some of mom and dad's little stashes are. And so I had been putting some, you know, cookies up in the shelf in the kitchen. And he'll walk by and go, uh, uh, eh. you know. And if you, if you take him away, oh, then, you know, he gets upset and he cries. Well, I know that it's probably not a good thing for him to have 15 cookies, you know, like right before supper. Because he will just keep eating those things. There's no stopping him, right? He's got the appetite. You know, it's the same thing with, with us and God, right? We see things that we want, but God actually knows what is best for us. And so we can get angry or whatever, but really our job is just to trust that God is going to take care of us. Believing is satisfying. Let's pick up in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Right? Seeing is not believing. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the bread of life. Right? The crowd doesn't get it. Jesus is trying to make it more clear. Okay, the bread that I'm talking about, that's me, guys. I'm talking about me. Okay? I am the one that satisfies you. And he makes it more clear here. He's restating a lot, but he's saying, hey... If you believe in me, you will live forever. You will have eternal life. And your life will be full. You'll actually be satisfied. All those things that you're chasing after to want, I can fill you. He tells them, right, that belief in him will lead to never hungering or thirsting again. Right? They will be satisfied. Jesus is it. The search is over. All these things that we're looking for to meet our needs, it's Jesus that can actually do it. He's the answer to the question, how do I get full? How do I feel alive? How do I live forever? It's all in Jesus. Jesus is God's provision for his people, and it's believing that satisfies. Now, Jesus, the crowd's not getting it, and he's highlighting their unbelief. He's calling them to recognize that they're not, they're not seeing him with eyes of faith. They're just looking at him for this man that's standing in front of them. And he's, he's pointing, he's, he's, he's making some bold statements here. We're going to deal with those in a second. But he's just saying, hey, if you are, are in, in tune with the Father, then you will be putting your faith in me. If you are connected to God, then you're going to be connected to me. But he's saying, hey, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. So he's exposing their lack of connection to God. And the main issue for us is the same. When we're not satisfied, it reveals a a misbelief in who God is. It reveals a lack of connection to our Father. So there's something that we believe about God that's false, or there's something about him that we're not believing that's true. So let's keep going here. Verse 41. 
So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say it came down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will, be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the crowd, they don't see who Jesus is. They don't, they don't believe. And remember, believing is seeing. So all of their senses, everything that they know when they look at Jesus is screaming at them, he's just a dude. He's just this guy. We know his father and mother. We saw him when he was running around. He was five years old. How can this guy say that he's coming down from heaven? And so it's because they don't believe that their vision is limited. Same for us. Right? The world, the TV, right? people around us, everything that we sense, that we touch, all of these things that we gather to interpret our world are always saying one thing. But that's not always the reality. All these advertisements are saying, you know, Black Friday, you need this new shaver. You need a new car. You know, you need, you know, a new microwave oven. That's not that cool anymore, I guess. But there's stuff that you need, right? You need a new iPhone, whatever it is. It's screaming at us to say, hey, this is what will fill me up. This is what will meet my need. So Jesus is, again, you know, highlighting that they're not believing, therefore they're not seeing, and they're not actually going to be satisfied. Now, there's, depending on your theological bent, there are some difficult statements in this passage. So I want to just deal with them because we're looking at this, this text. And I'm, I'm talking kind of about the, the you know, Calvinist-Arminian debate, you know, predestination, if you know anything about that. The basic idea is, hey, do we choose God, or does he choose us, or is it both, or how does that work? So here's some things that Jesus says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then later in the chapter, um, down below where we're going to deal with, he just says, this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, on the flip side, Jesus says, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is the crowd that doesn't believe. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him him should have eternal life. And again, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. In chapter 12, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Interesting little twist is that that word draw is the same as where uh, in the previous section where it says only those that come to me, the Father draws them. Same word for draw when Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. 
So I just want to address, here's what's clear, okay? Jesus is one with the Father. If someone doesn't come to Jesus, they're not connected to God. And if they're coming to God, if they're listening to the Father, they go to Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that, hey, Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We'll talk about that in another Sunday. The second thing that's clear is that God is the initiator. God's the one that, that started this whole business of redemption. Right? He is the one that pursues us. He is the one that sent Jesus. He is the one that draws people to himself. No one can come to God unless God enables them, unless God draws them, unless God woos them. So the real issue is, does God draw everyone? Now, John 12, we just said this, when Jesus says he's lifted up, he will draw all men, all men and women to himself, all people to himself. So the Bible seems to indicate that God is drawing all people. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So I just want to say, hey, you know, that's God's heart, is God always initiates. He is the one that's drawing us. He is the one that's working. Our work is just to believe, as Jesus makes clear in this passage. And so it's clear that we need Jesus and that God is the initiator. So I think you can land in one of two places. So I just want to say, hey, there, there's two options here. One, one option is kind of more the Arminian option, which is, hey, God is drawing all people to himself, but we're able to resist that. So every person on the planet, God is wooing them. Even people that have never heard the name of Jesus actually have a chance potentially to hear Jesus because he can go to them in dreams. I've met someone that's experienced that in a Muslim nation. They had a dream of Jesus, a man of white, they didn't know who it was, and then God brought someone to them to reveal it. So how that dynamic works, I'm not sure. The second place is that you can say, hey, God draws... um, God is drawing some people to himself in a way that they cannot resist. Irresistible grace is kind of the tulip Calvinist thing. And others are are kind of a general invitation, but they're not initiated by God in such a way that they believe. So I think both of those things are, um, you know, in the realm of orthodox faith. But I would just say, hey, it's a mystery how this all works. The solution is to trust God. The solution to even dealing with this little issue of theology is to believe in Jesus. And believing is satisfying. Even if you feel unresolved in that, God can give you a place, land you in a place where you feel satisfied. And if you want to see more, if you want a greater revelation into the mystery that is how this God can be sovereign and we can have do what we want and how that all interplay works, well, just ask for more faith because believing is seeing and he can reveal it to you. A couple other things I want to say is that this makes clear that people need Jesus. We're talking about satisfaction for us. 
But Jesus is the only way. So how is someone else going to get satisfaction without Him? And so another little telltale sign for us is how much do we believe that Jesus really is satisfying is are we telling other people about Him? Can we not stop talking about Him? And that's not, that is not, I disallow you to go there with guilt because guilt is not from God. But it's just a conviction to say, hey, do I believe this? That it's Jesus alone that will satisfy my coworker. It's Jesus alone that has life for my neighbor. It's Jesus alone. The more we believe that, the more we have to share it. Who's the guy that is the Salvation Army? Booth? Booth. Had a vision of, of heaven and hell, right? Once he had that vision, he was, he was ruined for the rest of his life, for everything else but sharing Jesus with people. He was ruined because he, his faith, and he saw what was real. He could see the reality of what was facing people. Lord, give us that vision. The other response to this is, hey, gratitude. God is the initiator. We have so much to be thankful for. It's God that's chased us down. And however that response of us and and Him just, you know, kind of putting it on us, however that works, Lord, thank You that You found me. Okay, last section, verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Crazy person. So Jesus said to them, he takes it further. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So the last point that Jesus is making with the flesh and blood is that he is a sacrifice. The Jews know all about sacrifice. Okay, they know all about temple and, and you know, they kill these animals and the priests actually get to eat some of the different sacrifices that are made. But no one is allowed to drink blood. That's forbidden in the Old Testament. The blood of the sacrifice is sprinkled on all kinds of different things. The altar, it's sprinkled, you know, once a year, like in the Holy of Holies, it's sprinkled on the priest to consecrate them to serve. And the blood is, does something called atone for the sins of the people. It means it, means it covers it. it. It makes them right with God. But they have to do it over and over because it's just sprinkling the blood on the outside of them. Jesus is saying... You need something on the inside. You need to drink my blood, meaning you need to put your faith in me and receive my sacrifice and take it into you. Receive me, we say, you know, into our heart, putting our faith in Jesus. See, when you, when you drink something or eat something, 
The atoms of that substance become a part of your body. And that's why Jesus is using this language of abiding in me. You need to take me into you. I am the only thing that can satisfy. Not just your hunger, not just for you to feel full, to feel loved, accepted, to have purpose. Jesus is saying, all of that comes from me. But Jesus also satisfies God's wrath as a sacrifice. You see, we've all messed up. We've all done things that were wrong, evil, and God can't tolerate that. If He let any of us into heaven right now, we would ruin it because we would just start sinning. And so we can't let that happen. And that's why Jesus had to die. He paid the penalty for our sins. He was in a sacrifice that now can not just atone for our sins or cover them. Yes, cover them, but also make us clean on the inside. So Jesus is the satisfaction for our sins. Believing is satisfying. We receive satisfaction for our souls by putting our faith in Jesus. Jesus is the provision for God's people. I'm a pretty lazy weeder. I'm talking about like a garden. When I weed a garden, I am, I'm often just kind of going through kind of fast and I'm trying to get the root of every weed. But I don't always, you know, if I kind of pluck it and the root's still in there, I never bother to go back. Jade's a lot better than I am at that. She's really diligent about pulling those weeds out. But you know what happens when you do that? Is that when you look back in two weeks, the weeds are back and they're twice as big as they were and they have a vengeance. You know, like, we're not surrendering this garden bed. Okay, that was lame. (laughs) But the point is, the weed is whatever it is in our life that we are looking to to meet our needs. And we all have these little weeds. Oftentimes in our life, we can just kind of say, oh, you know, I, I reacted in anger and, you know, because that person was, you know, mean or whatever. We have these emotional responses that the root of which is that we're looking for something else to meet a need in our hearts. And we can quickly just kind of brush over those in our hurry to get on with the next thing in our lives. But the challenge I have for you today is get to the root of the weed. When something comes up and, you, and God gives you the eyes to see, to recognize that, that there's something there that's not of Him, that you're looking for something else to meet a need in your life, do the work of asking God to reveal it to you. Now, why did I get angry there? Or why was I so upset about you know, this stupid thing that got broken? Or you know, whatever it is, I'm sitting in traffic. Oh, if I could just, if I could only get out of traffic. Anytime you're saying, if only, it might be a time to look for a root. Have the band come back up. Believing is satisfying. Nothing else is going to meet our needs for love, significance, acceptance, but Jesus. He's the only answer. 
He is the bread of life. We're going to take communion in a moment. And my challenge is we're going to do communion individually today. So what I would like you to do is if during the sermon, God brought anything up, you say, oh man, I've really been attached to this. This has been dominating my thought during this week. Or, you know, this is something that's caused me to get upset. I want to get to the root of it. I encourage you to bring that to the Lord. And ask Him to reveal, you know, what's really at the base of that. And then when you're done with that, you can feel free to come up and partake in communion and you can take it individually. We're not going to do it together today. So I'm going to pray and I just encourage you to ask the Lord, hey, is there something that I am looking to to meet my needs apart from Jesus? Let's pray. Gluten-free option is on my right. Jesus, you alone meet our needs. Nothing else that we, we try will last. We just... Lord, help us to see that truth and to take you into us. As we eat communion, Lord, let us take more, just more faith in you, Jesus, that you are the only satisfaction for us and for the world. In your name, amen.